is the pit series today, and I pray that our adventure through the life or through this portion of the life of Joseph has blessed you so far. Uh, but today is where it kind of all gets summed up. And uh, again, we're going to be dealing with forgiveness today. But before I begin the message, I'd like to tell you a story about a man named Simon Wazenthal. Simon lost 89 relatives in the horrors of Hitler's death camps. Ever since then, Simon has devoted his life to finding and bringing Nazi criminals to justice. He is often asked, Simon, when are you going to give this up? I mean, after all, the men that you're trying to hunt down are in their 70s or 80s now, and the crimes they committed are a, a half a century old. When are you going to give it up? Weisenthal answered by writing a book. And the book begins with a true experience when Simon was a prisoner in a concentration camp. One day he was yanked out of his work detail and was taken up the back stairway up uh, to a dark hospital room. A nurse led him into the room and there he was left alone with a figure wrapped in white lying on the bed. The figure was a badly wounded German soldier whose entire face was covered with bandages. That soldier's name was Carl, Carl with a K. With a trembling voice, Carl told Simon Weisenthal how he'd been brought up in a Nazi family, how he had fought on the Russian front there in World War II, and then Carl confessed many brutal things that his SS unit had done against Jews. And then he finished by telling of one particularly horrible atrocity. All the Jews in this one particular town were herded into a wooden building, and the wooden building was set on fire. And Carl had taken an active part in that crime. Several times, Weisenthal tried to leave the room, but each time he tried to leave, the ghost-like figure would reach out to him and beg him to stay. Finally, after two hours of this confession, Carl told Weisenthal why he'd asked him to come. He said to Weisenthal, I am left here with my guilt. I don't know who you are. I only know that you are a Jew. And that's enough. I know that what I'm asking is going to be almost too much for you. But without your answer, I cannot die in peace. Then Carl asked for forgiveness for all the Jews that he'd killed. He asked for forgiveness from a man who was facing death himself. And Weisenthal sat in silence, just staring at Carl's bandaged face. And at last, without saying a word, Simon stood up and left the room. He left that soldier in torment, unforgiven. Did Simon do 
the very best that he could do. Even Simon was dissatisfied with his response. And so he began talking it over with his friends. And he even went and visited the dead soldier's mother. But in Simon's book, he asks 32 rabbis and Christian theologians to comment about what he did. Here was his question. And this is the question he asks of you today. What would you have done? What would you have done if a person confessing to having part in killing 89 of your relatives asked you for forgiveness? What would you have done? Well, out of the 32 people that Simon asked, the majority said that he had done right in not forgiving the soldier. In fact, only six said that he had done wrong by not forgiving that soldier. But I want you to know this morning that the Bible says that you and I have the privilege of granting forgiveness to those who have wronged us. The story of Joseph provides us a wonderful model for forgiveness. The past had shattered Joseph's ability to trust his brothers one iota. In order to rebuild that trust, we learned last week that Joseph needed to know and believe two things. One, that his brothers were being straight up and honest. And two, that they were truly sorry for what they'd done. You may remember that last week, Benjamin... Joseph's younger brother has been accused of stealing Joseph's silver cup. And his brother Judah is now before him pleading for mercy. Judah and his brothers are now anxiously awaiting the verdict from the Egyptian governor that will determine the course of the rest of their lives. And today, we're going to find that true reconciliation that true forgiveness cannot happen without two important ingredients. Let's read from Genesis chapter 45, beginning in verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me! So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Let us pray. Father, teach us about forgiveness today. Teach us, Lord, what you have forgiven us of. And teach us, Lord, how we are to forgive others. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. For broken relationships to be mended, for true reconciliation between two parties to occur, first of all, forgiveness must be 
extended. It must be extended. Verse 1 said that Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. There, as Judah was humbly begging for Benjamin's freedom, he actually had asked the Egyptian governor, if I could be allowed, if Judah could be allowed to take the place of his younger brother Benjamin as a slave. And at that, when Joseph heard that, he could no longer control himself. He knew, now is the time to tell my brothers who I am. All my questions have been answered. My brothers have told me the truth. And most important of all, my brothers' hearts have been changed. When Joseph finally gained his composure, he identified himself. Verse 1 says, No one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh all heard it. You see, without knowing what the governor intended to do, the brothers could see him getting visibly upset. The brothers could see him send everybody out of the room. And they began to get filled with fear. Filled with fear while they waited for Joseph's decision about what he was going to do about this stolen silver cup. But then... This man, this Egyptian governor, made a statement that drove terror into their lives. He spoke in Hebrew to them, and he said, Ani Yosefi. Ani Yosefi. I am Joseph. The brothers looked and sat in silence. They couldn't believe this was Joseph. They were so astounded they couldn't even answer him. They were absolutely stunned. When the brothers heard those words, Ani Yosefi, they were so shocked and so overwhelmed with fear, they couldn't even speak. And literally, verse 3 says, they were terrified at his presence. They have nothing more to say. They have no appeals left. And they have no hope for mercy. By the way, that's how the unsaved are going to be when they stand before God. No hope for mercy. No appeals left. Nothing more to say. But Joseph began to reassure his brothers by pointing to something greater than himself. He began to reassure his brothers by pointing them to God's purpose in all that he had endured. Verse 4. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. And so they came near, and then he said, Ane Yosefi. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved 
or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, but there's still five years in which there will be neither harvesting nor plowing. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was God, and He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord over all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Joseph looked at the boys, and he could see their unbelief. They didn't believe it was him. He could see the sheer terror in their eyes. I mean, although he was speaking Hebrew, he still looked like an Egyptian. So he, Joseph knew he was going to have to help the boys. He was going to have to help the brothers know and believe that he was indeed Joseph. And that's when he asked them, Brothers, come close to me. Come see me closer. Hear my voice. But in that, Joseph did a lot more than just reveal his identity. Joseph also revealed his perspective on everything that had happened that the boys had caused. And I want you to notice two words. Two words that change Everything in verse 8. So now it was not you who sent me, but God. But God, God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh, etc. But God, Joseph says, you sold me, but God sent me. But God. Joseph saw God at work in his life and it prevented him from becoming bitter. He could have been bitter at his brothers. But God, God took all the evil intentions of his brothers and overruled them for something real good. You know, Joseph's perspective in Genesis has a New Testament counterpart in Romans 8, 28, where the Bible says that we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. All things work together because God is in control. Now, like Joseph's story, that verse does not say that all things are good, it says that God will work out all things for good. How many of you know that God is behind every circumstance in your life? He's behind all the circumstances in your life, not necessarily causing them, but certainly using them. The good and the bad, God can use for His glory. Think about all the difficult trials of life. Think about all the challenges that you had in your life. All the challenges your family has had in their lives. 
Boy, I tell you what, it'd be real easy to become bitter. Bitter people think that they're hurting other people, especially the ones they're angry with, by being bitter. But the irony is this, if you fail to forgive, if you fail to forgive the person you think is your enemy, inadvertently, you're just letting them control your life. The reason is this, the person who, who chooses not to forgive will often make decisions based on what they think will harm the enemy. But in essence, that bitterness that they harbor, it just makes them into a prison of their own making. It's so sad. But Joseph says to the brothers, go and get daddy. Go and get your father Jacob and go and get all your families and I want you to come here to live in the territory of Egypt called Goshen, verse 9. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph. What a shocker that was going to be, amen? Go, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, and your children's children, your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you. I will provide for you. Lest you, you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father all of my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Hurry and bring my father down here. And then what I think is probably one of the most tender moments in all of Scripture, we read in verse 14 that Joseph just threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and began to weep. And his brother Benjamin embraced him and began to weep as well. And then Joseph kissed every one of his brothers and embraced them. That scene of Joseph embracing and, and kissing those brothers who have wronged him so horribly. That's unsurpassed in the Bible, except for one other. I remember our Lord Jesus embracing and kissing a man who betrayed him once, don't you? Amen. Joseph has provided us a wonderful model for forgiveness. And it goes without saying that forgiveness is not easy. In fact, it's most challenging. But you know what? Oftentimes, we make forgiveness even more difficult because we misunderstand the true meaning of forgiveness. I'd like to share with you this morning just four of those misunderstandings about forgiveness. One, you need to know this, that forgiveness is not overlooking the wrong. Joseph did not pretend like nothing happened. Joseph clearly said, brothers, you meant it for evil, but God, God meant it for good. 
You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Joseph not one time diminished the seriousness of the wrong made done. Forgiveness is not overlooking the wrong. Number two. Forgiveness is not excusing the wrong. What happened was not the result of a bad home environment. What happened was not the result of the brother's poverty. It was not a result of something they'd done. The forgiveness was not excused. You can't use all those excuses that society uses to excuse sin. Wrong is wrong. And forgiveness is not excusing the wrong. Number three. Forgiveness is not minimizing the wrong. Not once do I read Joseph saying, boys, don't worry about it. It was no big deal. He never says that. Forgiveness never meant that Joseph had to minimize the pain he endured. Forgiveness never meant that he had to minimize all that he had gone through at the hands of his brothers. That's not what forgiveness means. Number four, forgiveness is not taking the blame for the wrong. Joseph never said, it's okay, boys. You know, it might have been my fault. After all, you know, I, maybe I shouldn't have gone out into the field with my fancy robe of many colors on. Well, maybe it was my fault. Maybe I should have never told you about my dreams. Friend, forgiveness is never taking the blame for the wrong. No matter what Joseph said, no matter what Joseph did, it did not excuse what the brothers had done. So granting forgiveness never meant that Joseph had to overlook what they'd done. It didn't mean he had to excuse what they'd done, what they, or minimize what they'd done, or try to take the blame for what they'd done. All that forgiveness meant was that Joseph had moved on. He'd moved on, and he was not going to let the past control the present. He'd moved on. But extending forgiveness is hard sometimes. Extending forgiveness is difficult sometimes. But forgiveness is a decision. It's a decision to bring pain to an end. When you've had your fill of the pain, Forgive. It's a decision to bring pain to an end. In order to forgive, I've got to let go of my resentment. In order to forgive, I've got to let go of the bitterness. I've got to let go of the hurt. I may even have to let go of my pride. Yeah, forgiveness is hard. But you know what's harder? Hate. Hate is much harder. I read a quote that said, The miracle of forgiving is that it's the creation of a brand new beginning. The miracle of forgiving is that it's the creation of a brand new beginning. Pain doesn't always take away the hurt. 
Forgiving doesn't always take away the hurt. It doesn't always deny the past. It merely refuses to let anything stand in the way of a new start, a new beginning. I bet Joseph's brothers left Egypt incredibly encouraged. After all, Joseph had shown them more grace than they'd received in who knows how long. But for true and complete reconciliation, for true forgiveness to become a reality, not only must forgiveness be extended, but forgiveness must also be accepted. Even years later, Years later, after they'd brought their father down to Egypt, where he eventually died, the brothers are still afraid of Joseph. They're still afraid that Joseph might want to get revenge on them. Here it is. It's years, years after they've been forgiven, and they still not have fully accepted the forgiveness that Joseph extended to them. And so the brothers, once again, allow guilt to do a number on them. For some reason, they seem absolutely convinced that when their father died, that Joseph is going to come after them. Convinced that Joseph is going to withdraw his forgiveness and begin to exact his vengeance upon them. But in chapter 50, if you want to turn there with me, in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 15, The Bible says that when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. And so they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers. And their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I, am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about to us this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Here the brothers are still rehearsing all that old sin, that old sin that they had already received forgiveness for. Bottom line is, they just hadn't forgiven themselves. Years later, Joseph's still reassuring them over and over again that they've been forgiven. Do we ever do that? I think often in life, we are the last ones to forgive ourselves. And I believe that's exactly what Joseph's brothers were going through. Chuck Swindoll says that guilt clings to the side of the boat, clawing for a foothold long after grace has already come on board and begun to steer the boat. 
Joseph's heart was broken. Broken to find that his brothers had not received the forgiveness that he offered. They're still living under that burden of guilt. Living under a burden of guilt for sins that had already been forgiven. What about you? As you think back into your past, there are a lot of things that you've been forgiven of. Are you still fighting with the guilt for sins that you already asked God to forgive you for? I want to tell you today that if you have asked God for forgiveness, He forgave you. Right then, right there. And as far as God is concerned, it's over. It's over. The only question remaining is, have you allowed yourself to be forgiven? Have you allowed yourself to be forgiven? Are you living like you've been forgiven? Dr. David Seaman says, there are two primary causes of emotional stress. One is the failure to forgive. The other cause of emotional stress is the failure to receive forgiveness. If you won't forgive, or if you won't forgive yourself, you are putting yourself under an incredible amount of emotional stress. So for broken relationships to be restored, there must first be a repentant heart on behalf of the offending party. That's what happened with Joseph's brothers. They were genuinely changed. But there also must be a receptive heart on behalf of the offended party. Joseph had that receptive heart. But if you will just remember these next points, the time that we spent in Joseph's story will not have been in vain. Because I want to share with you briefly four truths about forgiveness. One Remember that if you're saved today, it's because you've been forgiven. If you're saved today, that means God has forgiven you of something. And if you're like me, he's forgiven you of a whole bunch of things. Number two. Remember, at some point in the future, you're going to need forgiveness again. Amen. Number three. Reflect on the terrible cost of refusing to forgive. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. 
reflect on the terrible cost of refusing to forgive. And last, remember, like Joseph, you will be able to forgive. You may say, I can't forgive. Let me tell you something. You will be able to forgive when you begin to look for the hand of God at work in the midst of that circumstance. That's when you're able to forgive. When you remember, they meant it for evil, but God. But God meant it for good. We rejoice this morning that God in His infinite wisdom, created a way for sinful human beings to be forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future. But friend, the cost was great. The cost was great. Not only would His Son, Jesus, give up His earthly life, He would suffer greatly in the process. I plead with you this morning not to let his suffering be in vain. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and receive that forgiveness that he generously offers you. Receive the forgiveness he offers through faith, belief, and trust in the only person who can forgive you. There's only one. They can forgive you. And it's not me. It's not no priest. It's not the president. There's only one that can forgive you. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died for you. Jesus. 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 Do you get it? Say Jesus. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. I believe you've got it. He's the only one. Let us model our forgiveness after the one who forgave us. Let us pray.